Not too long ago, the police department in Mountainsville, Pennsylvania, received an envelope. And inside the envelope was a $5 bill and a short handwritten note. And the handwritten note simply said, I've been carrying around this parking ticket for over 40 plus years, meaning to pay it the whole time. I'm sorry. Please forgive me if I don't give you more details. Sincerely, Dave. It was a $5 bill for a $2 ticket back in around 1974. But this guy had been carrying it around for over 40 years in his wallet, meaning to pay it. And he kept on meaning to pay it until eventually the guilt just got the best of him. Guilt over a $2 parking ticket. I am almost certain that the Minersville, Pennsylvania Police Department had completely forgotten about it long time ago, had wiped it out of their system if it ever even entered a system. But the guilt got the best of him. And that's what happens to us a lot of times in our lives. The guilt gets the best of us. Guilt for something big we did or small or anywhere in between. We all carry around guilt. We carry around guilt as individuals, as a church, as, as a country, as a society. We carry around guilt. And we have to figure out what to do with it. As I thought about all of this and I thought about guilt, I couldn't help but think about John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I wanted to read that to you from the message translation. But at first I should note that this scripture is, is not in the earliest copies of John. Um, the Bible was, was found, was put together, not by taking whole, like whole books that were already assembled, but rather by taking little pieces of papyri, little, little manuscripts, that, little chunks of, of, of parchment that were found, and they tried to carbon date them and, and, and figure out through other, uh, other ways of his, historical criticism which ones were the oldest. And they determined that the oldest copies of John didn't have this. And that it, not only that, it just didn't fit in very well. And so that it probably got added in at some point in time later on. But I say that even if that's true, that's okay. It sounds exactly like something that would have happened. It sounds exactly like something that Jesus would have done, knowing how he is. So, let's get started. John chapter 8, 1 through 11. It says, Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Now, can you imagine this? Jesus was in the temple. This was like going into the enemy's lair. This is like going into, into the other team's dugout. You, you don't do this. You know that you're going to cause trouble. And sure enough, that's the next thing that happens. 
It says the religion scholars and Pharisees let in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Well, they were trying to get him to say that, yes, that's, of course, that's what Moses says, and we have to go along with that law. That's God's law. But at the same time, the Romans allowed no one to do any executions except for them without their say-so, without their permission. And so Jesus was in a a lose-lose position, and these religion scholars and Pharisees, they knew it. They knew they'd caught him. What was Jesus going to do? Well, he did something that I've never done on an exam in seminary or at church or in Bible study or in small group. It says he bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. Can I encourage you to do something? Can I encourage you to save yourself a little frustration? Don't try to figure out what Jesus was doing in the dirt. We, we don't really know. It's been often argued between one scholar and another that he was doing this or he was doing that, or some say that he was even just doodling, just trying to upset the scholars. Who knows what he was doing? Maybe he was just giving them time to figure out how they were going to to answer and what they were going to do next. Well, honestly, we don't know. The narrator of this part of John doesn't give us any clues. There are no clear clues of what he was doing, if he was writing, or what he was doing. It, it apparently wasn't an important part of the story. So get down to what does matter. Keep your focus here. It says they kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, you go first. Throw the stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. You got to give it to him. That's pretty slick. This way, he didn't upset the Romans. He didn't say that, yeah, go stoner. And he didn't upset the Jewish people by saying, no, you can't stone her. He just simply says, well, if you don't have any sins, you go first. He would have known Jewish ideas like Ecclesiastes 7.20, which says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. That was the Jewish idea. And they all knew that. So he just simply appeals to their own guilty conscience. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another. 
beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. I think I'll just kind of insert a, a, a Christological hug right here. I just kind of just imagine Jesus giving her a hug before she goes on her way. But he shows her love and grace and forgiveness. You know, it, it, if you go and if you look at books and you read about the scripture, scholars fuss and go back and forth about what it's about and about this detail and that detail. But in the end, what really matters is if you, if you cut to the chase, if you cut through all of that stuff, is that Jesus was taking away her sins and taking away the guilt. She didn't have to live with it anymore. And not only did he do that, but he pointed out the sinfulness and the guilt of all of the other people around the woman. What he did was he gave her life back to her. In addition to this, he says, go on your way now and sin no more. He didn't just take away the guilt. He gave her a way forward. A new way to move forward and look at all of the possibilities we don't know exactly what he meant by sin no more. It's possible he was referring back to the Old Testament law. Those Ten Commandments that we read about in Exodus and Deuteronomy. For example, in Exodus 20 it says, this is what Exodus 20 roughly shows us about how we should be living. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself not an image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. These are very well all of the things that Jesus may have been referring to when he told her to go in the sin no more. Or maybe he just meant from now on, as he told us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 both point to exactly that. Loving God and loving neighbor. I don't know about you, but we all carry around 
burdens of guilt. I've carried around quite a few of my own in my life. I have many things that I wish I could go back and redo or try again. When I was a teenager, my mom became sick. And she couldn't really take care of my brother and I anymore because uh, she was so sick and she wasn't able to really work. And she ended up having to sell our house out in the country next to our grandparents and, and move into town, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's like a, you know, forever and ever away. It's, you know, 50 minutes, an hour away. I don't know how far it was, but all I know is it was forever and it was definitely a different school district. And I remember mom offered us both the chance to go live somewhere else, offered me the chance to live with my grandparents next door so that I could continue to go to the same school. And that is what I, I did. And looking back on it uh, for a long time, I wish that I would have done something different. I wish that I would have went with my mom. I wish that I would have chose not what I wanted, rather maybe what my mom needed. Uh, looking back, being a little older now, I realize now that she was alone, that she was sick, she needed help, um, she needed family and friends and people who loved her. And I wish that I would have been there. Um, nothing can undo what I did choosing that. But God can forgive me. Christ takes away the guilt. I don't have to carry that around with me all of my life. Guilt is just too much to carry. It's not often that I've, in fact, I don't think I've ever quoted the Foo Fighters on the front of a bulletin cover before. But that's what Dave Grohl was talking about there. That guilt is a thief that takes away everything from you. Jesus had the answer. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he said, Are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's what Christ offers us. A chance to lay down all of our guilt and to live freely and lightly. On September 5th, 1791, Robert Carter III walked into the courthouse in Northumberland, Virginia. And with him, he carried a piece of paper, just a simple piece of paper. But with that one piece of paper, 
he freed over 500 of his slaves. Gave them freedom. Carter seemed to understand from what I saw and read that people were never meant to have chains upon them. And Christ understood that too. We are meant to be a people free of guilt. We are meant to be a people free to live. My small group, I, lo I love them. I love what we've been doing. We've been reading through a book called Faith Unraveled by Rachel, Rachel Held Evans. And she talks about her faith and her evolution, the ups and the downs, and, and how it's grown and changed. And she talks about how she starts to understand that Jesus didn't just come to die so that we could have eternal life. He came to do so much more. He came to give us liberation from our sins. She says, following Jesus would mean liberation from my bitterness, my worry, my self-righteousness, my prejudices, my selfishness, my materialism, and my misplaced loyalties. Following Jesus would mean salvation from my sin. And that is what following Jesus means for all of us. It means a chance to start over again and again and again. Because of God's unending, unmatchless love through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to experience redemption, renewal, and freedom from guilt. What a wonderful gift. My friends, I hate to tell you this, but you, me, all of us, we are that woman who was drugged in front of the temple that day, in front of Jesus all those years along ago. But we are also the same woman that Jesus loved and declared free of guilt. Amen.